The fourth word, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The fourth word is taken from the Gospel according to Mark and Matthew. From noon onward, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, and about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Our speaker is Dominican Father Paul Murray, preaching at St. James Cathedral in 2011. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This cry of utter and complete desolation is, of course, terrible to hear. But even more terrible, I would suggest, is the devastating silence that follows it. For there is no answer, none, no word of response from heaven, nothing, an echoing void, a cold emptiness, a silence weighing on the heart heavier than the stone slab of a tomb. Why have you forsaken me? These words, or similar words, have risen to the lips of countless numbers of men and women over the centuries. People reeling with distress, for example, after the impact of a terrifying earthquake, or a flood, or a tsunami, their loved ones and all their possessions swept away from them, or people dying under unspeakable torture in prison, their cries for help unheeded, or small children living in daily terror of being repeatedly beaten or abused. In situations such as these, the silence of heaven can seem almost like an indifference or like a deliberate avoidance of human need, a door slammed in the face, a rejection. How then are we to understand this most immediate drama of Good Friday, when we see the Son of God hanging for three hours on the cross, naked, abandoned, alone? What does it mean if his cry also goes unheard, unheeded, and if he also experiences in unimaginable depth the hurt feeling of rejection, the seeming indifference of heaven? By far the most direct, most immediate, most illumined way to approach this question is not, I would suggest, with words and preaching, but rather with silence and prayer. Nevertheless, words too have their importance, and however poor and inadequate they may be, words too can help strengthen our faith, our love, in the face of such a great mystery. It is Good Friday, and Christ, the Son of God, is today laying down his life for us on the cross. We are witnessing an event that will change forever 
our understanding of human affliction and human death, a reality, in fact, that will change the whole world. And why? Because now, in the moments of our own deepest hurt and humiliation, we are able to believe that we are not alone and that not for a moment have we been forgotten or abandoned. For Christ is now living his passion within each one of us. By his grace, there is no longer any distance between ourselves and the Father. The silence we hear is not one of separation, but of union. Why? Because Christ has crossed the infinite distance between earth and heaven. He has taken upon himself all our human sorrow and wretchedness and humiliation and anguish and guilt. He has become, as St. Paul so powerfully expresses it, a curse for our sake. St. Paul, reflecting on one occasion on the reality of suffering in his own life, made a remarkable statement to the Galatians who were clearly puzzled that he had to undergo, he, Paul, had to undergo so much misery and suffering. Paul declared, the marks that I bear in my body are those of Christ Jesus. How wonderfully well Paul understood that he was not alone in his affliction, but that somehow Christ was alive in him and alive both in his passion and in his resurrection. St. Paul's words have understandably been quoted again and again over the centuries by men and women seeking to understand the meaning of human affliction, the meaning of the marks or wounds of suffering, which to a greater or lesser degree all human beings in this life are asked to bear. By far, I would say, the most memorable, most moving reflection I personally have ever read on this theme is not, strange to say, from one of the great doctors of the Church, but rather, once again, from a humble letter composed by a condemned prisoner on death row. The same death row, as it happens, to which I referred earlier. The name of the prisoner in this case was Malcolm, and the extract I want to quote now was composed a matter of days before his death. It was, in fact, his last letter. Malcolm writes, All of us who have lain crucified on beds of pain, remember that an hour will come when we will be taken down from our cross and the Saviour shall look upon our hands and feet and side to find the imprints of his wounds, which will be our passport to eternal joy. Let me read that again. It's extraordinary. That at the last, when we'll be taken down from our cross, and the Saviour shall look upon our hands and feet and side to find the imprints of his wounds, 
which will be our passport to eternal joy. The cross, Malcolm continues, the cross is not something that has happened. The crucifixion is something that is happening. It can be found at any place and at any hour in the human race. Like I am, every man is on a cross. Some ask to be taken down, like the thief on the left. Others, like me, ask to be taken up, like the thief on the right. Remarkable words. Malcolm, prisoner, was not choosing pain or suffering for its own sake. There was already a cross in his life, a painful stigmata that was unavoidable. And he accepted it with living faith and hope, confident that because of the love of Christ, this cross would somehow bring him closer to God. As he writes his letter, Malcolm's attention is not fixed in a morbid way on pain, but rather concentrated on the great mystery of Christ's life within him. Like I am, every man is on a cross. Some ask to be taken down, like the thief on the left. Others, like me, ask to be taken up like the thief on the right. The marks that I bear in my body are those of Christ Jesus.